Hello folks, welcome back to the 9to5Athlete podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello folks, welcome back to the, I was away to call it the RLS podcast, it's the 9to5Athlete podcast, I'm trying to get used to that change of name um, and after I've edited this, you're going to get a nice example of a intro music that I got a guy on Fiverr to do for me. I'm <laughs> not going to be sticking with that intro because he completely did not get the the instruction manual. I asked him to do a British accent and not make it loud and cheesy. And what did he do? American accent and made it loud and fucking cheesy. So I won't be going with that. Um, but to introduce our guest today, um, we've got a man that I've been following on social media for a while. Um, he is involved in a completely different sport from me, and I know almost next to nothing about it. Um, so we're going to be going down that angle quite a bit. Um, and it's episode 94, and we're here with Dara McGurn. How are you doing, mate? Well, Ryan, how's things? Um, yeah, I suppose it's something new for me as well. Like I nearly am always talking about GA and talking to fellow GA people. Um, so it's nice to suppose venture out of that and have a discussion with someone who is outside of that and yeah open up I suppose new conversations and I suppose your listeners are going to be different to what I would usually be talking to as well so it's something new and hey, I'm looking forward to it yeah I think a lot of the people in Scotland have <clears throat> no clue about it um, but I did actually I had a guy at my run club at the weekend there who said he was excited to, to hear what you had to say because he used to play when he was back home. He now lives in my hometown and, uh, yeah, just never would have thought him. There was many people in Forfar that knew anything about it, um, my little old town. Um, so, mate, where are you from? Um, where do you come from? Just a bit of background. Yeah, so I suppose I come from a small place in Ireland called Fermanagh. Um, yeah, like in terms of when people think of Ireland... Fermanagh is never a place that anyone would think of. And when I, anytime I traveled, um, I was nearly embarrassed to say Fermanagh because no one ever knew where it was. But a bit of, bit of context, I suppose, probably about an hour and a half down the road from Belfast and probably an hour and a half from Dublin. So kind of up up north of Ireland, but kind of towards the middle as well. Um, and yeah, I suppose, like within Ireland, you play for your county and you play for your club. So I play for Fermanagh, the county team, and there's 32 counties in Ireland, obviously, and then you play for your club as well, and there's 20 clubs in, in Fermanagh. So you play for the bigger team, and then you play for your community, uh, which is Bandalac for me, which is my club. Okay. No, sweet, mate. Um, and I suppose we're going to get kind of into that as well, because as I said, like I know next to nothing about it other than the fact that you get three points for scoring the football-like looking goal and one point for scoring the rugby <clears throat> And that's where yeah. my kind of knowledge stops with that. But uh, like, is that something? Have you played that since you were a kid? Have you played since you were young? Yeah, like I've played that since I was five. Um, you've probably—I don't know if you've come across hurling either. So there's two, there's two sports in Ireland. Yeah, well, two main ones are hurling and Gaelic football. So I would have played both of them from when I was five or six right up until 18, 19, but when I reached 17, 18, and, you know, I had to choose kind of one because I was playing at a higher level with the Gaelic football, I kind of had to drop the hurling. So, yeah, Gaelic football has been the main one, and it's quite chaotic, and, 
yeah, not many people actually know much about it outside of Ireland, and that's something I've realised. Um, for us, it's like the most important thing in the world. Like honestly, for nearly for everyone who plays it, and you know is involved within it, it's always been the most important thing. And we probably get too caught up nearly in how how important it is in our own lives. Um, and people find that a bit mad because they don't even know what it is. But um, it is quite an exciting sport, and you know there's a lot going on, and it's very you know at that higher level with the county team it's nearly you know we, we basically train and play as professionals but you know you have to work as well on top of that so um yeah we're, we're a bit mad when it comes to it to be honest yeah it's it's um it's funny because i did a gap year in australia and there's obviously loads and loads of irish over there in sydney and um i would constantly yeah. be seeing these like these tops and i'd be like what fucking football team is that <laughs> like is that an irish football team but like I suppose it confused me. And where would you say it then compares to like actually like soccer in terms of in Ireland? Like I know there's obviously a lot of people that like follow it, but is that then the biggest Gaelic football like the biggest sport above hurling and football? Yeah, it's it's still the biggest sport above. I suppose we call football soccer now in, in Ireland just because it's Gaelic football, and it just gets way too confusing when we're talking about Gaelic football and then football. So. I refer to it as soccer in this, and that might. I apologize if that annoys anyone, but um, uh, yeah, like like soccer still, it's still quite popular in Ireland. Like, but it's rare for someone to go down that route. Like, we probably lose out on an extreme amount of, of soccer players in Ireland because so many of us are just completely focused on the Gaelic, and we don't really know a lot of a lot of players don't probably know how good they are at soccer. Um, you know, a few. For, to give an example, I suppose at colleges football, um, a few years ago, we probably had one of our most successful ever teams, not my age group, but a few years below, and they won like an All-Ireland competition, which was pretty mad for our small county. And within that, two of the best players were really, really good at soccer and are now ended up playing Irish League soccer um, within Ireland. So... It can sometimes if, if a player is like really really high level at soccer they probably will go down that route because there's money in it um but for the majority um they'll go down and they'll, they'll be fully focused on Gaelic football um, and that'll be the be all end all I suppose but um it's just very it's very difficult for an Irish player to make it across the water um so the money in Ireland for playing soccer at Irish League is probably decent, but it's not massive either. So you'll usually tend to see players do a mix of both. So play soccer for maybe a few years and, and go back to the Gaelic as well. So there, there's, there's a decent blend, I suppose, going on. Yeah, I was actually here this morning from was speaking to one of my clients and he, he told me that he listened to an interview with Neil Lennon not long ago and he'd said that he'd played at quite a high level up until he was like 16, 17 or something and then decided, yeah. you know, actually, I'm just going to go and play play soccer and <clears throat> I didn't actually know that and obviously he's had a pretty distinguished career as a footballer and a manager. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty mad because um, when, when Irish players end up going across the water and making it big at the soccer, nearly everyone in Ireland has it in their head that they had never had anything to do with Gaelic football. And yeah. it's weird that way, but um, you just kind of think of them as like a famous person who's playing across the water. And they're, yes, they're Irish, but they're definitely no connection to Gaelic football. But nearly all of them play Gaelic football right until that age limit of 16, 17, where they're scouted by someone and then they go across the water. So it's still a massive part, I suppose, 
of their lives and they probably still follow it when they're over there and they, they end up coming home to watch whether it's the all Ireland finals or whatever it is um, but it's always interesting to hear that I know yeah a lot of people tuned into that podcast with Neil Lennon and were kind of shocked at his views and how much passion he still had for Gaelic football and mm. he still had quite a good knowledge for it as well which was which was cool so you see that in, in a few like even like Kieran McKenna who's managing Ipswich now is from where I'm from in Enniskillen mm. and like um, his brothers would play Gaelic football one of his brothers would play Gaelic football one of them would would play soccer in, in Enniskillen so it's cool seeing that as well and how he's trans- transferred over and is one of the elite managers now and probably in England yeah 100% mate um, the question that I wanted to ask you is suppose it's like almost like a dummy's guide to, to Gaelic football like how would you explain it to someone that did not have two scoobies about what actually is involved so I'd always try and explain it with like a mix of sports so like it's a wee bit like rugby in that there's contact but not as much like in rugby you're allowed to just pull someone to the floor and in Gaelic you have to kind of tackle the ball you can still be quite physical you can shoulder someone shoulder to shoulder um, with a lot of force and you can go in hard and tackle the ball but you're not allowed to pull someone to the ground you're not allowed to be overly aggressive Um, then in soccer I suppose I don't I don't think there's that many comparisons with soccer apart from the fact the ball is just round and um, because we can put we can have the ball in our hands so you have the ball in your hands you're allowed four steps after four steps you have to take a bounce or a solo and you can't bounce the ball twice in a row so you can solo the ball as many times as you want which is basically just kicking the ball back into your hands um but you can only bounce it once in a row um and then there's 15 on 15 players and all 15 players can go wherever they want in the pitch but we tend to have a structure so there's six defenders two midfielders and six forwards mm-hmm. and the way the game has gone now a lot of teams will drop nearly all their players back to just try and defend and then they'll try and break and attack with nearly all their players so it's become it's become a bit different to what it was like probably 20, 30 years ago where the forwards used to stay up in the forward part of the pitch and the defenders used to stay and it used to be a lot more open. Yep. But now, obviously, it's it's a lot more tactical and a lot more breaking down to be done. So, as you mentioned earlier, when you kick the ball into the net, you get three points. And when you kick the ball over the bar, you get one point. So, a lot of games will tend to have very few goals and will tend to have a lot more points. Um, just It's very hard to break down 13 or 14 defenders to get a goal and um, so games would could end up you know one goal and nine points to two goals and 12 points or something like that um yeah and there's 15 on the pitch as i mentioned and you're allowed four or five subs i don't know if i've explained that well enough but if no, there's I anything mean, else you you have me I think the best thing that I did was actually just go and watch like some stuff on YouTube. It kind of made yeah. things make a lot more sense. Like I'd watched a bit of yeah. Aussie Rules when I was over in Sydney, um, and I suppose like it's there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, Aussie Rules is definitely one that has a lot of similarities. And in fact, like over the last geez, 15, 20 years, players have been scouted from Ireland to go over to mm-hmm. Aussie Rules. So you know, there's probably I'm not sure how many Irish players are over there. There might be seven or eight at the minute if not more. Um, but players will, will be scouted by Australians to go over and, and play a professional over there and get paid for it. So um, that's pretty cool as well. And it's just because I suppose the physical demands of the game are very similar in terms of, you know, running demands and physical demands, like the stature of the players over there 
wouldn't be too dissimilar to the stature of the players over here. So, um, yeah, Aussie rules is probably a wee bit more physical in the fact you can just absolutely smash someone to the floor if you want. Um, and but again, um, there's still a, a good bit of skill involved in Aussie rules as well. So in terms of the kicking side of things, that's probably the toughest transition the players find is is trying to get used to that oval ball and being able to kick it in a straight line straight to someone's chest nine times out of ten. Yeah, it's, um, I actually feel almost quite bad thinking back to it. Like I was at the MCG in, in Melbourne watching a game. There's like fucking 90,000 people there and I was barely even watching the game. Like I should be embarrassed. <laughs> this, like a lot of people, if you say that to them, they're like, you were like, you were where? You were at the MCG and you actually like didn't really take it in. It's alcohol related. That's why I probably didn't take it in. But um, yeah, change <clears throat> now. Um, so then... What actually then makes a good player, like phys- physically and athletically? What makes a good player? What makes a good Gaelic football player? Good question. Um, I suppose a good player, like you need to be able to cover ground within Gaelic um, the way it's gone. So you need to have quite a good engine. But to be one of the top players, you have to combine a good engine with a lot, like a, a lot of speed and power and an ability to change direction and make decisions fast on the pitch. So physically, you want to get to a really high level in terms of your speed. What we're seeing it a bit more now is, is the athletes who are able to change direction. And I suppose not just change direction, but perform, I suppose, be agile. So react to a stimulus and, you know, depend. Like a lot of the time as a forward anyway, you're going to have someone tracking you. You're going to have a man marking you. So you need to be able to lose that defender. And so, yes, you need to be very strong and you need to be able to get in you know, tussles or whatever, but you need to be able to lose them with, with you know, a, a sidestep or a sharp change of direction, the opposite direction. Um, and that also comes with the ball. So a good player, you know, a player can be really fast, but when they line their man up 1v1 to try and beat them, speed isn't always just going to do it for you. You need to be able to, I suppose, sidestep a man. You need to be able to change direction sharply. You need to be able to solo at top speed. Mm-hmm. Um and then you, you need to be able to kick a ball while running at 80 or 90% of your speed as well, which is another skill that you know athletes need to possess. So um, nearly every attribute is going to be, I suppose, in demand as a Gaelic football. Like you want to be you want to be very conditioned because you don't want to blow up within a game. You yeah. want to be very fast. You want to be able to change direction. You want to be powerful. You want to be strong. Uh, so that's why, that's why it can be so difficult, I suppose, as a GA player who mightn't have many of them and you're trying to think about right i need to be faster or oh, i need to be stronger as well i need to be i need to be bigger i need to have more muscle mass in my frame i need to be leaner all those things all those attributes are i suppose important for a gaelic footballer um but again in certain parts of the pitch it might change so as a midfielder you want to be you want to be big like you want to be able to because there's going to be kickouts in games where the ball is going up and you want to compete with your man so you want to have physical size around the middle and an engine are probably the two most important if you're playing in the forward line and you're in the inside line, you want to be quite fast um, and agile and you want to be able to, I suppose, um, lose your man, as you spoke about earlier. So the, the change of direction and agility um, side of things is going to be a bit more important for an inside def- either an inside forward or an inside defender, both of those. Um, and then if you're in that half forward like zone or half back, you need to have a big engine because you are going to be up and down that pitch all day long. So actual physical stature mightn't be as important, but the engine side of things is really important. What sort of distance are these guys covering in a game then, like on average? 
So when uh see we we have thirty five minute halves, um, so within a full game you'd be talking at least ten k. So okay. between ten and thirteen k probably for for some players like we have players there covering nearly thirteen k in a seventy minute game, which is is pretty insane to be honest. Um, but it's nearly all go, and then if you're on the inside line, some players could be between. Nine and eleven k. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I don't. Not sure how that compares to. Uh, soccer. I suppose it's pretty similar, is it? It's um, the only way I go off of. I've obviously done a bit of study into this when I was at university, and distances covered by like recreational, like junior level, and up to professional mm-hmm. level, and you're probably talking like anywhere from like around about those same distances. Um, if you're like, if, I always think of the example of you watch the old Champions League that used to be on like. Um, the terrestrial channels and they'd always show you the distance covered by the players I think they probably still do it on Sky Sports um, but you'd see players yeah. coming off at like 70 minutes having covered like 12 to 13 kilometres which is uh, yeah, which is mad when you think <laughs> of it if you just went out and ran 12 to 13 kilometres I mean you're going to take at least I don't know anywhere from like 45 to, to an hour or something if you're a decent runner yeah. um, but to run that at the different speeds that you would on a team sports game is, uh, is, quite, is quite considerable and I yeah. think that's kind of then the next thing that I'm wanting to draw from this is like the comparisons between the team sports so we're talking about soccer we're talking about rugby we're talking about Gaelic football alongside various other sports and and I know there's obviously nuances to each of these sports and there's going to be different demands for for your guys versus footballers just because of the technical aspect of the game but what do you believe there are like if you could pick three things that players are perhaps not doing but should be doing to improve their athletic performance as a team sports player, or if you want to kind of pigeonhole it into um, Gaelic football, what are three things that they should be doing but shouldn't, but but aren't doing? Sorry, like when they come to you for coaching. Yeah, I suppose one thing you probably heard me talk about a lot recently is this, is the zone two aerobic training. I find within GA anyway, from my experience, like conditioning is nearly always has to be really tough like it's nearly always you need to be you know lying on the floor gasping for air at the end of all running sessions you know you need to feel like you've done something difficult but what you lose out on there is is just pure aerobic base training like building that engine like the wider you build that base the more you can stack on top of it so and players always complain to me about um you know i'm doing all this fitness training i'm doing i'm training all the time but i still don't feel fit and i still and i I just think it comes down to that. Like some, you know, success leaves clues in, in conditioning-based sports, like you know, running, whether it's a fifteen hundred meter athlete or a marathon athlete. Like a lot of their training is going to be in that, in that, in the lower zones, and a small compartment of it is going to be in the higher zones. So, I just think it's a, you know, the better your, I suppose aerobic base is the better you can actually recover from high intensity efforts and that's the part people can't seem to understand and because you're building more and better efficient mitochondria to be able to i suppose utilize that energy so that's probably one thing um the next thing is actually just basic plyometric work like building up a foundation and a base and capacity in the tissues of the lower limb to be able to impact and contact the floor and um, so many athletes you know 
they might do box jumps or they might do broad jumps, but they're not getting that extensive stimulus in of, you know, just, lo- again, it's low intensity plyometrics that I'm talking about, building that base, building that capacity. So that's one thing I would work on with my athletes in the off-season is building that up, building that foundation so that it's another issue, I suppose, in the GA is cramping and, and athletes not being able to stay in for games. And I, I believe that's probably coming down to that. A per relationship with the floor in terms of their feet, in terms of um how much load they've built up with plyometrics. Um so that's probably the second thing. Um the third thing then is like a lot of speed has been a big thing for I suppose a big thing within S and C now over the last few years. Like it's been quite important, but I still don't think we're doing it right. Um, like a lot of athletes would just think, right, I'm just going to go out and sprint once or twice a week, which of course is better than not sprinting, but it, it's a bit more nuanced than that if we want to try and improve that area or that side of things. So how you actually structure your week, like where are you putting it in your week? Are you, a lot of athletes who come to me and they said, yeah, I'm in speed, but you know, it's in me, it's in me warmups with my team manager and I'm saying well well, what are you doing and just doing oh well we're doing two sprints before we go into the the game and I'm there's no rest period between the sprints there's no actual intent there's no focus on uh, I suppose what we're doing before we sprint in terms of the preparation side of things Um, all of those things are so important if you actually want to get faster Um, and one thing that I have introduced over with my athletes when they come to me is an actual like preparation with purpose which is something I've learned from Alan Murdoch working with him um, and that's just, you know, feeling the postures and positions and actually what are you looking for when you're trying to run fast and run efficiently is probably even more so important. Like, um, you know, how is your foot interacting with the floor? What are your hips doing? Is your is your pelvis stable? Um, are your glutes doing a good job? Are you possessing good hip extension? A lot of athletes complain about a sore, stiff lower back, but they just have absolutely no hip extension. And they've got no range at the pelvis. It's not moving. So... Yeah, that's probably another thing is 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 dialing in with your preparation before speed, taking adequate rest periods with speed, um, not having to go hammer and tongs every time if you are a bit fatigued. So learning about where how you structure your week to prioritize that, and learning that, you know, sometimes your CNS will be a wee bit fatigued on days, and and that's the time you pull it back with speed. Yeah, mate, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think athletes are very good at going and knocking their pan in and going I'm, I'm doing hard work mate like I just done all these sprints I just like repeat basically what they what they think speed training is is their repeated sprints it's just like right, yeah. it's like a dog chasing a ball you've got it on the lead and it's like let, let me go again let me go again I just, <laughs> yeah I just want to absolutely not my pan in but like that's not speed training that's repeated yeah. sprint <laughs> that's repeated sprinting that's conditioning yeah, yeah. Um, and it's yeah. uh it, like I said, it's like people have the best intentions they want to work hard for the most part but if they can get like a system in place, like the one you're talking about there, um, they can just get so much more out of their athletic development. Um, and like I remember, I was actually just reading a book um, the other day. It was actually, sorry, it was, a, it was an audio book and it was a bit about Matt Fraser in it. And he was like, a lot of my training is boring as shit. Like, I hate, I hate it. Like, I'm sat on the rowing machine for like an hour and a half. That's the thing. Don't do shit. But he's like, this is the stuff yeah. that, that pays the money, man. Mm-hmm. So people, it's the stuff people don't want to do. And that brings me back to another, I suppose, a fourth thing is how you act, like, how does your body actually move? And a lot of athletes have come to me with like niggles or injuries or something they just can't seem to shape. And 
a lot of the time I'm going to them and giving them a lot of boring stuff. And there's, I don't know if you came across David Gray, who is one of the best, I suppose, movement, movement coaches and rehabilitation coaches in Ireland and probably in the world at the minute. Um, and a lot of his stuff is really boring. Like it's not fun to do. You're getting your, you're, you're simply getting your joints and your bones moving so that when you do return to the field, you know, you've a bit more, your body's a bit freer and you're able to move more efficiently on the pitch. But a lot of them will come back to me and say, no, that's too boring, man. I can't do it. I, I can't sit down. I'm like, well, it's a lot more boring being sitting in the sidelines injured and not being able to move well or feeling stiff and sore all the time or not being able to handle load. So, you know, sometimes you have to just deal with the boring shit and, you know, think about future you, I suppose. <laughs> that's it, mate. It's the guy I actually had on the episode before you is is a mentor of mine and he talks a lot about like um, like skill acquisition within the gym and like prep movement preparation kind of what you were just talking about there whereby like the first six to 12 weeks of your training if you're just starting again or maybe it's the first time you've set foot in the gym there's going to be a lot of acquiring skill so that you can move well getting your your body to generally move well and that stuff's not fun like it's it's labored it's slow it's boring it doesn't look sexy on instagram and you're just going to need to take your time with it but then as you say it gives this massive foundation to build upon which there's just an endless amount that you can build upon, especially when you do see training as a skill, because like you're always learning something else. Like you'll be learning things every single week and um, working with yeah. these different mentors and different guys. Like we, we never know it all. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's, it's mad because it's like, if you think about what everyone else is doing, everyone is doing the strength work. Everyone is doing the, the small bits of speed work everyone is is trying to do the things that everyone has always been doing to, to get better but you need to start looking at the things people aren't doing and you know why are people picking up injuries um you know what what are the top athletes doing you know success leaves clues and they're all doing this sort of work so if you want to get to that higher level and um, you have to do both like you have to do the boring stuff you have to do the stuff that's fun and as you say, it's it's usually at the start that you you really build that and you, you improve that. For me now, a lot of that stuff I don't find boring. It's just a habit. It's just it's just what it like. You find you end up figuring out the stuff that doesn't work for you, and you end up figuring out the stuff that does, and then that just becomes a foundation and a part of of your session from there from there on. Like I go into the gym now, and it's nearly just automatic that the first ten minutes of my session is 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 getting my hips moving, it's getting my feet moving, it's getting some breath breath work done to open up or get some expansion in the back of the rib cage and and close the front ribs and um yeah just generally get get everything moving through range um which just frees me up and has me feeling a lot better for the session and if i skip that work i end up not enjoying the session as much because i'm feeling like shit so um yeah it's the mundane stuff i suppose that people don't want to do and then that's 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 where the money is I, I i think anyway for for a lot of athletes who because a lot of athletes do feel stiff and they do feel sore and the body doesn't generally feel great when the load starts to go up and in, in pre-season especially um and then between heavy games week on week yeah mate, it's, it's so true and i think it's funny as well like i'm walking to my local gym just now and like you'll go in and see some guys doing like marches and pogos and things like that and like you you mm. you, you see people kind of going like what the, what, are they, what are they doing like why are they jumping about like that when it, especially when it's like a, a like a council gym or a recreational gym where it's just like most people are just in there to jump on the spin bike and then they see some of these guys doing these all these different movements it it can also create this little bit of a barrier because people will think oh my god people are looking at me doing this stuff but 
like it's becoming so much more common and more people mm-hmm. are doing it and like if you can get over yourself and just do a few pogos or just do a few like hops yeah. like, you're going to be fine yeah you should relish that nearly like i actually enjoy going into a gym and doing stuff that people are probably looking at me i remember in bali <laughs> i was going around the gym and it was not like it was a you know it was kind of like a bodybuilding set like a lot of people were just doing their own general stuff but there was me jumping about between weight machines and walking in my tippy toes or down doing calf walks i remember someone just came up to me he's like he's like mate what are you what are you actually doing there like it, it looks like you're doing absolutely nothing beneficial but you're in unbelievable shape and you look really athletic so you must be doing something useful and then i was just having to explain you know the concept behind why you're doing things so you should relish going into a gym and doing athletic stuff and not being the norm i suppose within within a gym setting um and and getting out of your comfort zone because a lot of that stuff you kind of are getting out of your comfort zone because it is so different um but i suppose that's the stuff you know you need to be doing to grow as well absolutely mate um how was your how was your trip to bali what what why did that come about was it just like a temporary thing was you away for a month or something yeah i went for you see our our club season would end around the end of october and i had been injured uh, for a long time so our county season then pre-season would start towards the end of november so i just thought you know i have two months here i can work online i'm getting out of here and i'm i'm going to go and not have questions coming at me all the time about you know, why you're injured or when you're back or all that because that 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 was taking a lot out of me mentally having to I suppose answer that all of the time so to get away you know the environment in Bali to be able to train you know there's there was no there was no drinking there was none of that like I was just purely enjoying life the, the weather was brilliant the, the gyms were pr- the best gyms I had came across um ice bath sauna everything involved really good community as well of coaches um so i was connecting with people nearly all the time as well in that in that aspect and learning um so i i actually initially had went out to to just go for two or three weeks three weeks i think i had said and then i ended up extending it and i was out for five or six weeks so um i just enjoyed it that much and i think it's something that i'm probably going to keep I'm, I'm gonna try and get out there once a year around that time every year and um, between between the seasons of club and county football um and yeah, as I mentioned, like there's so many people out there doing similar things. Uh, so many people out there actually running their own businesses, not fitness businesses, but any sort of businesses. And there's like we, there's there's actually places that everyone goes and works together, I suppose, in their own on their own laptop or whatever. So that was also pretty cool. Like you could have been going, getting up at six or seven in the morning, going down in the ice baths on, and then going to work from half seven eight. Uh, with 50 to 100 other people around you um and the food as well like the that's another thing the food is just next level um like anything you could actually uh, like think of in terms of a, a cuisine was there uh some of the healthiest food cafes i've ever seen the prices were a lot lower for food so nearly everything was was in check um and the fact that it was off season and there's no football going on at home meant that it, you know you've no f- fear of missing out on anything at home so it just it was a no-brainer yeah, was that something you'd think about? Um, to be fair, I've done a bit of that. Um, and uh, we've got a baby on the way in five months, so pr- probably not anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely why it's why I got into this job in the first place. Like it, initially, when I'd come back from Australia, I was like, right, must 
get some sort of job that allows me the flexibility. And obviously I was passionate mm. about fitness and stuff like that. I wasn't just because of that, but I wanted a job that allowed me to travel and allowed me to have the freedom to be able to go on holiday when I wanted to go on holiday. Like I was never going to have a boss again. I just never, I didn't want that. Yeah. Um, so obviously <laughs> over the past few years, I have been able to kind of go places for like extended periods of time and take holidays. You can, you take your laptop, you can work from anywhere. And it is, it is one of the yeah. massive perks of doing what we do. Um, you're not yeah. tied down to one place you can travel and see the world and I would imagine that like even just from seeing your social media like that's something that's important to you as well like being able to like fucking explore and do stuff yeah 100% and that exact same viewpoint in terms of like the thought of having a boss or the thought of being set to exact times we are working and having to get up every day and and just being like set to one thing and, and not having that freedom just was something that I just wasn't prepared to do and that's the that's the, the benefit but of course it, it comes with a lot of drawbacks as well that you nearly end up always working and your mind's nearly always going but it's a hundred percent really good trade-off to have when you are able to just to go away and and, and enjoy and and see other parts of the world as well Um, that freedom is is invaluable invaluable so it's something that i kind of want to explore a bit more I've, I've been in vietnam uh well, that's probably yeah. That was during the summer actually as well when I was injured. So I got I got quite a bit done in the last six months. Um, but yeah, I'd be looking to explore probably more of Europe and 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 back out to Bali and Australia and maybe see parts of that. So, well, like in terms of Australia as well, how did you did you enjoy it? What part of Australia were you in again? Yeah, so I, mean, I was based in based in Sydney. This was probably like well, this is like four years ago now. Um, I actually went out initially to be uh, I'd never taught swimming in my life but I went out to be a swimming coach that was the opportunity so I was just like well I can barely I can swim but not great so let me just go and <laughs> uh, so I was based in Sydney and then essentially just like did like three weeks of work there the wages are pretty good take a couple of weeks off go and see some somewhere like go to New Zealand go up north uh, go down south to Melbourne and uh, the amount we were able to see in a year staying out there was like was ridiculous and like it's just a different different world just a different lifestyle yeah. to anything that you yeah. can pick up in the uk yeah i think from what i've heard it's it's probably similar enough to bali but just the, the cost of living and the price of everything is way higher yeah. so that's why when i think about like when i get the opportunity to travel and go away it's nearly makes way more sense for me to just go to bali and then maybe venture over to australia and maybe do a couple of weeks here and there um but it's definitely something i'd love to explore in the future is is going to maybe sydney and perth and all those places because it just looks so cool and yeah. um, and new zealand as well seems to be seems to be pretty cool as well yeah mate, that was amazing we did like a a 10-day trip the camper van started at the bottom and then just ended up at the top and it was it. The, the things you see mate it's, it's almost like, like you're driving through the hills of, of ireland or you're driving through the hills of scotland obviously pretty scenic and pretty nice mm. but you just like times that by 10 in terms of the scale and the height. <laughs> um, and then like, I was, I'm not really a Lord of the Rings fan as such, but like you're literally going through like some of the battlegrounds of Lord of the Rings, like actually being able to notice, like I remember that from the film, but that was just like, that was pretty surreal. Um, so definitely yeah. recommend Australia and New Zealand. Um, yeah. But something I want to ask you about as well, mate, is there is, it's quite a trend on, on Instagram and TikTok and that just now. And a lot of people, I've actually had a few questions about it. It's like, should I be doing this? And I'm like, well, let, let, let me let Dara answer this for you because you've done it. I've not <laughs> done it. The 72 hour fast. Why did you do it? And two, how did it feel? Benefits, side effects? <clears throat> yeah. So they're actually, this came about from 
one of the communities in Bali. So some of the the lads that were involved in the gym just, you know, was saying, right, I'm doing a, it's a lot of what people do in Bali is like all health focused. So everything is nearly, there's always these things going on where they're trying to improve their health. And fasting has obviously been, it's probably, it's been proven at this stage to have good impact to your health. Um, so they obviously said, right, we're doing a 72 hour, hour fast. We created a group chat. He said, do you want to jump in? And I just thought it's always something that I've like wondered about, like, it, it, like, is there actually that many benefits? And so I just thought I'd do, do it for myself and find out. Um, a lot of the benefits that you get are like, that are claimed, I suppose, within 72 hour fast or from the autophagy benefits, which is basically just an, an, an internal clean out from the inside. So I know you can't really know if that actually happened or not. You know, did that happen? I, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't say like people think, oh, you lose a lot of body fat as well and stuff. And I did like, I looked really lean after that 70 hour fast, a lot leaner than it was before, but those weren't long lasting benefits. Like within a week or two weeks, I was nearly back to looking what I had looked like before. So that side of things I wouldn't be harping on about and, and encouraging. And I also find it can, if you're someone who do, who already has maybe a, a poor enough relationship with food, I don't think it's a, it's a great option either. Um, I also was in the luxury of, I was injured and I wasn't doing a massive amount of training. So I was able to take three days of just kind of working in the business and, and doing nothing for, for that period. Um, but I wouldn't like, it's definitely not what everyone claims it out to be either. I don't think anyway. So it was a good experience and I did, you know, there was definitely small benefits from it. Um, I could feel like a mental clarity and focus after two or three days, hunger levels had went down. I had realized that a lot of the time throughout my day when I'm always thinking that I really need to eat food, that it's procrastination. And, you know, a lot of the time I'm not, my body isn't absolutely crying out for food. Um, so that was one thing I had learned. Um, but I'd also suppose learn that the body's the body's very strong and um, you know, within a couple of days of, of fasting for three days that my strength and stuff was back to normal. A lot of those things were back to normal. So um yeah, like I'd be lying if I if I sat here and said it's something that everyone should do. I don't think it is. Um, but I do think it's something if you have the time, if you have the energy, if you have three days to be able to take take off from training, it can be a good reset and it can be a good clean out. Um, and I did feel quite good from doing it. Like I, I must say that. Um, but there is like extreme benefits that people are claiming. Um, I suppose like in terms of what you were wanting to know, does it to do, do? Do you have any like things that you think you would be inquisitive about in terms of what the benefits? Yeah, I, th I think for me, like well, a lot of the guys I work with are athletes as well, and some of them had been asking these questions off the back of maybe seeing some sort of like little clickbait video on TikTok about the benefits of mm -hmm. it. And um, these guys are perhaps then in season where they're playing, like they're training Tuesday, Thursday, playing on a Saturday, maybe even an extra game. And they're asking me about a 72 hour fast. And I'm, I just returned the question is when, when are you going to do that? And when is that going to be yeah. beneficial? You need carbohydrate. Well, you, you pretty much need it to perform on a Saturday yeah. or at one of your training sessions. So if you're going to take yeah. 72 hours out of your week, it's just not going to happen. Like, I think if yeah. you're going to try something like that, think about a slightly smaller time scale. Like, think about, okay, just your your standard kind of fast from, like, 
five to five to one the next day like maybe you can try that that'll be fun yeah. um, or maybe even a 24 hour fast but 72 hours absolutely not during the season yeah and something like where people don't realize is like you get you get decent benefits in terms of just your gut health from fasting on a daily basis so like even something as small as 12 to 16 hours you know nearly nearly most days where you're just giving your body a, you know the, the opportunity to reset and um you know, you don't want to be obviously just bombarding your 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 stomach with food all of the time. So having smaller fasts like that built into your day um, is a good place to start. Then experimenting with, you know, maybe a 24-hour fast once every, once a month, building that to 36. And then maybe if you did have time once every year or once every two years, you could do a 72-hour fast. But um, as an athlete, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't even recommend a 24-hour fast if you have games every week. Um, I just don't. You're not going to get. You're not going to get that many benefits from it anyway, and you're going to deplete yourself, and your 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 ability to recover between sessions is isn't going to be there. So, one thing I suppose I like. There's a lot of there's a lot of claims about it's 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 ability to heal the body, and if you have any injuries, you have any sicknesses and stuff, a lot of people claim you know it'll clean that up and the body will just go into a complete regeneration phase and it'll, it'll cure injuries so I was kind of curious about that when I had the hip and groin injury you know would my body actually just go into a complete for like environment for healing and, and it would it would cure me but that wasn't the case um but other people I suppose have claimed maybe for minor injuries um that it actually has done that for them so again you're you anyone can make that decision for themselves whether they want to do it there's no guarantees as to th- those benefits are going to be there um but again you can't know that for a fact and, unless you try it i suppose so yeah, yeah. Suppose the, the one thing i could take from it is i wouldn't even call it necessarily fasting i would just say i have my breakfast later than i used to like i used to eat yeah like, first thing in the morning before i got cracking with my day and i thought just this is just what i've always done so i'm going to keep continuing to do it my digestion mm-hmm. acid re- acid reflux um was always a bit of a problem for me and I just I think I must have just listened to something on a podcast one day and I was like why don't I just like get up get cracking on with my day do my training and then wait till I have that breakfast till about 10 half 10 11 o'clock yeah and behold (laughs) the gut problem and the acid reflux is pretty much gone altogether now and uh, I think if anyone else is struggling with that, that that would be one place I would definitely start yeah that's one habit that I've that I've definitely you know brought in as well over the last couple of years is just first few hours of the day I'll just you know get myself going first I won't have any caffeine in the first 90 minutes either I'll just get up shower a cold shower bit of journaling get outside for a walk get some sunlight in your eyes like and you just feel so much better you know with energy levels Um, and then you can enjoy your first meal maybe an hour or two after you get up Um, but as you say it's it really is that it's the improvement in your, your digestion uh, and your, just your gut health in general that makes I suppose everything so much better in terms of how everything's working within your body in terms of how your body suggests and that first meal then when you do have it um but yeah again you know nothing none of this is anything that anyone has to do and I suppose different people will react differently to, to different approaches that's it mate yeah 100 um so next question I had for you is almost from a slightly kind of selfish point of view um more for me than maybe the listener some of the listeners possibly <laughs> but um where did the whole kind of like instagram um like business start and like how have you now gotten yourself to a place where you have got like forty thousand followers maybe maybe more than that now um 
how's that been built up? Yeah, so I suppose it started, like I studied aerospace engineering in university and I always had a passion for just my own strength and conditioning and GA and improving myself, improving my performance, um, whether it was through nutrition, whether it's through gym, speed, all of those things. And throughout university, I just had an inkling, like I, I wasn't enjoying it. Um, I'd already figured out that I didn't want to go down the route of one, a nine to five, but two, you know, engineering. Um, so it was in final year. It was actually COVID was a blessing for me because that gave me the opportunity. I had loads of time. And I remember just saying to a few of my friends, like, I'm thinking of just starting up an Instagram page here and just showing people what I'm doing because I had already started throwing up meals and stuff on my personal page and it was getting a good response. So that kickstarted. I just started putting up my gym sessions. Simple as that. And the response was actually really good. Uh, putting up food, putting up, you know, my opinions and different things. And that kind of escalated. And I did that for about six months. Um, and then I had final year to do in uni. So this was throughout final year athletes started kind of coming to me and just saying listen I'd, I'd like if you were able to coach me online like um i'm liking what you're doing so i just thought you know this is a pretty good opportunity i might as well just do it on the side when i'm finishing my degree so by the end of uni then i ended up yeah i was coaching people in person in the gym as well then i got my personal training um qualifications online throughout covid was doing that online doing it in person was taking sessions um and then I ended up just building up more and more people online. And by the time I'd finished the degree, I could already see that it was it had the potential for coming into a business. So then I suppose I thought, you know, I need to start hammering with social media. So I'd seen Sean Casey. He had just started the social circle around there. And so I got in really early with that, like early doors, and just started learning and posting, I suppose, utilizing the, the principles that he had, he had spoke about to how to grow online. And so I started hammering that and then a few videos went viral, a few things took off, um, and then it just started being really consistent. And the page just grew and grew and grew, and then grew up to you know full capacity in terms of one-to-one online coaching, and that was it. I, I never even looked back, I never even thought about going into a job in engineering. I, I never even applied for one, I don't think. Um, so yeah, I suppose that's where it escalated from, and, and now we're here, and now it's about, as I spoke about with you, trying to push it on now to another level. Would you recommend the the social circle? I actually was uh, putting the feelers out for that the other day. A hundred percent. It it was, you know, social media has changed a lot now, and it's 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 got a lot more difficult to to push things on online. So it, at that stage, it was the best thing I had ever done. Like the 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 nuggets of gold in there were huge, but I still think there'd be massive value in it for all all I suppose coaches on social media to it's just like little tips and tricks in your videos and constant support and sean's actually rolling out now uh an updated version to to go with i suppose how social media has went now in terms of it's a bit more difficult to grow on instagram and tiktok and all those things so yeah that that's coming out now in february so it could be it could be a good time to get into it and but i know yeah like probably prices went up since i got in i i was very lucky and i got in early doors um so I've, I've been a part of it since but massive value yeah no that's class mate that's, i think the, the main message there is like it's like just generally consistency with your posting like posting good content good stuff and i think for you as well like you're speaking to a very like specific person which is mm-hmm. 
but also like I think I'd just come across you generally from like like my own athletic performance standpoint not because I'm like oh here's a good coach that I can learn some stuff from initially it's obviously what I'm doing yeah. at this point but initially I was like here's some stuff that I can actually go and apply myself when I, for, with my training yeah. because a lot of it applies mm -hmm. to football so I think you'll probably have a lot of people that are not just like Gaelic footballers following you probably have footballers or rugby players yeah thinking how can I apply this plyometric stuff this speed work mm -hmm. in my own training um so yeah mate you're, you're absolutely smashing it um and uh yeah mate perhaps a a member of the, the high performance coach soon as well yeah yeah actually looking forward to that um yeah for me i suppose it's been it always was just about putting out stuff that i think i would benefit from and therefore other athletes benefit from um which is good in the fact that i do have a lot of people from you know, rugby backgrounds football um AFL people in America just because realistically we're always as athletes you're just trying to improve your athletic I suppose performance on the pitch and whether you're playing soccer Gaelic hurling AFL rugby you know physically you just want to be in a better place and that's probably a lot of the stuff that I, I try and put out is just improving that side of things and then dialing in with things like nutrition so um yeah I'm, I'm buzzing actually to, to push on now in terms of the business side of things I've kind of ignored I suppose that side of things which is also a massive part of it um and you probably you know you've put put those I suppose measures into place as you've mentioned to me before over the last couple of years and you've had massive benefit from it so you seem to be seem to be smashing it as well over the last year or two yeah mate that has been good to be fair I, I literally can't complain about one bit like I think when you get into something like this where you where you enjoy your job you wake up every morning and you're like right okay I'm, I'm actually just going to go and help some athletes like get stronger yeah. fair, faster today like I think if you go back, I probably went back to when I was 15, I could write down a job on a bit of paper. What would you love to be when you're older? Like, I, <laughs> that, that would probably be it. So it's yeah. uh, pretty fucking cool. Like, you, you never know it's going to manifest itself as like an online coach. But I'm always pretty grateful for where I've been able to get to in the job that I do. And it makes work easy. It does, big time. And I'm, I'm the exact same. When I was younger, if I had it written down, something I wanted to do when I was older, it nearly would have been just, I probably would have did it and laughed out loud. And then yeah. be like, well, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, sometimes it's good to look back and actually think, you know, I'm actually in a place here that I always wanted to be. So you kind of have to be proud of what you've done as well and and enjoy what you're doing and be grateful as most too because not everyone has the luxury of being able to do something like that um, and wake up every day and actually have motivation and that you're going in to do something you're passionate about. Um, so it was brilliant. Um, yeah, hopefully it keeps going the way it's going over the next couple of years. For sure, mate. Well, that's us pretty much at the end, mate. And uh, I'm not sure if this guy's made me an outro. Um, if he has, I'll, I'll stick it on. It's probably <laughs> as cheesy as the intro. Um, but, mate, massively appreciate your time. Um, that's been really good talking to you. We've got a lot out of that. Um, so if anyone does listen to the podcast, please give it a share. Tag me, tag Dara, and stick it on Instagram, stick it on Facebook, whatever you want to do. It would be massively appreciated. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you.